That's what it's going to take for you to be in covenant with the God of the Old Testament. Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. Not so you become a member of any particular denomination so that your sins can be remitted so that you can enter into covenant with Jesus Christ. You can be in covenant with God Himself. Not a new God, not another God, but God Himself in human form. That's how you get your sins washed away. I ask you, if you've not been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, how did you get your sins washed away? Say praise the Lord. You're talking about a Jesus name, one God, Holy Ghost filled, apostolic man. His name's Paul. And they're trying to kill him for that. Religion is trying to kill him for that. Religion is a frenzy. Thinking they're doing God a service. Why? Because they're king. And it came to pass <coughs> that when I was to come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, he said, I was in a trance. He's going back. You give me his testimony. I was in a trance and saw him saying unto me, Make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. He said, I've been here before. He's there for what, maybe four different times. And he's been here before. He knows they're not going to receive his testimony. But he loves them. He wants to see them saved. God told him, they're not going to receive your testimony. He's doing everything he can to reach them. You talk about the hard-heartedness of man and the hard-heartedness of woman. The superiority complex they have. So hard to reach. God said, they're not going to receive your testimony. They're not going to believe what you tell them about your encounter with me under Damascus. They're not going to, they're not going to believe it. Verse 19, I said, Lord, they know that I am, I am prison, beaten, every synagogue, them that believe on thee. Look at that. He used to do the same thing. He used to beat the believer, thinking he's doing God a service. Now he sees who the true Lord is. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the remnant of them that slew him. This, the, what's, very same thing that he did to Stephen, he will eventually face himself. He'll be martyred. Not right now, but he will be. He will reap what he sows. That's what you and I, we've got to be very careful. Even though Paul did this before his conversion concerning Stephen, he still was martyred later on as a believer, just like Stephen. Not the same method, but he was martyred. You gotta be careful. You see the contrast? He's saying, I used to be just like you. Hey, Amen. Am I getting you bored now? Tired? Okay. <clears throat> now watch, he's speaking in Hebrew to them. They're as quiet as they can be. They're with him up to this point. They can handle what he's saying up to this point. But then the Bible says, And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I was also standing by and consenting unto his death, kept the raiment of them that slew him. And he said unto, unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. When he opened his mouth and said Gentiles, that God was sending him to the Gentiles, they went into a frenzy again. <coughs> These prejudiced Jews could not believe. They're God's people. 
We're God's people. They hated the Gentiles. Gentiles being connected to our God, Gentiles being in covenant with our God, that's all, that's more than they could take. They were prejudiced as they could be against the Gentiles. And when he just, when he uttered that word Gentiles, that God was sending him the Gentiles, they went into a mad frenzy all over again. Their perspective was wrong. The way they looked at themselves was wrong. The way they looked at God was wrong. The way they looked at the Gentiles was completely wrong. Their whole perspective was wrong. Man, here we go again. That captain sitting over against the wall with a cigarette in his mouth. They gave him audience unto this word and then lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth for it is not fit that he should live. <laughs> Good Jews. Religion. And as they cried out and cast off their clothes and threw dust into the air. I mean, they started ripping their clothes off throwing dirt like gorillas. I believe that's one reason why God revealed Himself to the Jews because they're so emotional. You ever get them on the right side of God, they're the, they're the greatest worshipers you'll ever see. They cry all the time, dance, run, shout. They're the most emotional people you'll ever come across. Amen? Start tearing their clothes off, throwing dirt up in the air. Gorilla dust, boy. <coughs> it's the truth. And the chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and the babe that he should be examined by scourging that he might know wherefore they cried so against him. They're fixing to scourge him just like they did Jesus Christ to try to get him to talk. And Paul, Paul looks up at that Roman police officer and says, I didn't know it was lawful for you to scourge a Jew. I mean a Roman. So now he uses his Roman citizenship. This is amazing to me. This captain says, I obtained my Roman citizenship great price, at great price. He said, it cost me a lot of money. How did you become a Roman citizen? He said, my mom and dad were Roman citizens. I was reborn. I was born a Roman citizen. Now, when we get to Rome, when we, when Paul gets to Rome, I'm going to explain to you why he lets himself go to Rome. Okay. He's got a reason behind what he's doing. Okay. Remember in, in Acts, uh, 20, if you go back to 20 with me, please. Is it 20? 19. 19. Verse 21, Acts 19, 21. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to where? Jerusalem. That's where he is. Saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. Then is mine. 
Verse 25, And as they bound him with tongs, Paul said to the sinner that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? And when the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. Then the chief captain came and said unto him, Tell me, art thou a Roman? He said, Yes. And the chief captain answered, With a great sum obtained I this freedom. And Paul said, But I was freeborn. Then straightway they departed from him, which should have examined him. And the chief captain also was afraid after he knew that he was a Roman, because he had bound him. Hmm. On the morrow, because he would have known the certainty, wherefore he was accused of the Jews, he loosed from his bands and commanded the chief priests and all their counsel to appear, and brought Paul down and set him before them. So now, he's given his testimony to the Jews. Now he's going to give his testimony to the Sanhedrin court. And they bring Paul, the chief captain, the Roman captain, takes him and sets this whole thing up, gets the council together, and brings Paul before the council to find out what is going on here. So here he is before the Sanhedrin court now. Say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul is standing there, and you got the you got the Sadducees who do not believe in the resurrection. You got the Sadducees who do not believe in angels or spirits, who don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. On the one hand, you got the Pharisees on the other. They believe in the resurrection of the dead. They believe in angels. They believe in spirits. Come on. Here it's all set up now. And Paul is fixing to divide his enemies. Very wise. Okay? He's going to do this not to try to go free. He's going to use this as an opportunity to testify again. They're fixing to go to, they're going to fight, going to fight each other here. This guy's a Pharisee gonna be in a big old fight right there with the Apostle Paul. He's gonna stand there and he's gonna walk out while they, while they're fussing and fighting. <clears throat> but it wasn't because he wanted to be free. He wanted to testify to the Sanhedrin court. Okay. But anyway, let me back up just a little bit. He's standing before the Sanhedrin court. The high priest is right there. And when Paul makes a statement, a testimony, the Bible says in Paul earnestly, Beholding the council said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And when he said that, the high priest had him smitten in the mouth. Punched him right in the mouth. And, and the anger of Paul rises up in him. And he calls him the, he, he says, he calls him a whited sepulcher. The high priest said, you're, the, you're a whited sepulcher. You're full of dead men's bones. You're dead. This is the high priest of Israel. That righteousness rose up in him. Righteousness rose up in him. That he would be smitten like that, standing before what was supposed to be the righteous court. And he's smitten unrighteously. So anger rises up him for righteousness sake. He said, you smite me contrary to the, to the law of God. Watch. <clears throat> Verse 3 said, Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. You're a whited sepulchre. For sittest thou to judge me after the law and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? 
Then said Paul, I wish not, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. He said, I didn't know he was the high priest. He said, because the law of God says, Thou shalt not speak evil against the ruler of thy people. God said that in his word. The apostle Paul apologizes for saying, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. Revilest thou God's high priest? Contrary to the law? Paul said, I didn't know he was a high priest. He apologizes for speaking evil against the, the high priest of God. This is very odd to me. I don't know how Paul could stand there right through the Sanhedrin court and see the high priest sitting on the, the chief seat of the council and not know he was the high priest. But nonetheless, he apologizes for reviling the high priest, speaking evil against the high priest. But he did not apologize for the righteousness that rose up in him. You understand what I'm trying to tell you? He claims he didn't know he was the high priest. How he could not know it, I don't know. He's sitting there right in front of me with the garb, the garb of the high priest and the seat of the high priest. And, you know, possibly he's, Paul is sarcastically saying, I didn't know you as a high priest because if you were the true high priest of God, you wouldn't be acting like this if you were. And two and two don't add up. I don't, I don't get this. One plus one don't equal two. You don't acting like a high priest. But nonetheless, he apologized. You see it? <clears throat> Thou shalt not speak of the ruler of thy people. But when Paul perceived that the one part was Sadducee, the other was Pharisee, he cried on the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead, am I called into question? And when he had so said, there arose a dis dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. <laughs> Woo! Don't mess with Paul, man. I'll tell you, that guy, he's anointed. He's got the Holy Ghost, you know. He's, and he, <coughs> he assesses the situation and he says, I'm standing in this place because I'm preaching the resurrection of the dead. And he knew the Sadducees didn't believe in that because the Bible says it. Sadducees say, verse 8, there was no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confessed both. Hallelujah. Now I'm telling you, I don't believe he did this because he's trying to get away. I believe he did this because he wanted to testify again. Are y'all still awake? <coughs> Give me 30 more minutes. At least I'm being honest. And say, Give me five. Give me 30 more minutes. There arose a great cry in the scribes that were the Pharisees parted rose and strove, saying, We find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. He's a pretty good guy, huh? We like this guy. He's, yeah, he's, he's our buddy. Well, he just got through confessing that he was a Pharisee at one, you know, at one time, just like them, believe like they do. You know, hallelujah. <coughs> All right, praise the Lord. Let me move on here. 
When there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and to bring him into the castle. Isn't that amazing? There's the captain. He set the whole thing up. He brought the court there, the Sanhedrin court there, you know, to get Paul, try to work this internal problem they're having with each other out. Instead, we got him going crazy again. Boy, their church services were pretty amazing, weren't they? <laughs> At least you're not going over there ripping each other, you know, tearing each other. Hallelujah. And then here we go, the captain again to the rescue. Grabs Paul out before they tear him to pieces again, you know, start trying to tear him to pieces. And <clears throat> boy. He's really, he, there's a show going on in there. <laughs> Brought him into the council. And the night following the Lord, look at this, it's beautiful. The night following. He, there he is, Paul there. He's dejected in his spirit. He's walked into Jerusalem. He's walked in among the very people that he is physically connected to. His family. He loves these people. He died for them. And they have rejected him and they've rejected the gospel. And he's dejected, he's discouraged. And the Lord appears to him in the night. See, all of this was happening during the day, they're trying to tear him apart. In the nighttime, the Lord appears to him. I'm not going to try to explain to you how he appeared to him or how he heard the voice of the Lord. I, he, he just did. Just take the Bible's word for it. The Lord appeared to Paul. <coughs> <coughs> I spoke to him by night. And the first thing the Lord does is He deals with his discouraged heart. He deals with his dejected heart. He's sitting in that prison. He's discouraged. The results were not what the church wanted or what he was looking for. And there he is. He's really down. And the Lord appears to him at night and says, be of good cheer. So he deals with the first issue, and that's the dejection in the heart of the apostle. Be of good cheer. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Amen. I mean, that's the Lord Himself standing right there at night in that prison. Be of good cheer to strengthen the discouraged heart of the apostle. And then, the Bible says, For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, number two, the Apostle Paul has been a failure. It has, I don't really say he was a failure. He testified, he preached, he declared the truth of Jesus Christ, but he was rejected by them. And so he's sitting there in that prison thinking about all that had happened and all of the failure. But the Lord encourages him and says, you testified to me. You did it. You did it. You testified to me. Come on, isn't that an encouraging thing? If you're dejected in the heart, walk in there and they're ready to kill you and they reject you. And he cheers your heart up. And then he tells you, even though it was a failure, you testified of me. Hallelujah to the Lamb. You ever been in that place? 
If you ever been in that place so discouraged, what would happen if the Lord came to you and encouraged your dejected heart, your discouraged heart by saying, be of good cheer. And you're out there preaching and teaching and doing everything you can to spread the gospel. And you look around, you go to bed, go home at night and sit there and everything you tried to do to spread the gospel is nothing but one big failure. And you feel like a failure and you feel defeated. But the Lord then appeared and said, you've testified of me. He gives you that word. You did it, Paul. You testified of me. You didn't fail. They did. You didn't fail. They did. You testified of me. You did what you were supposed to do, Paul. You testified of me. Encouraging him concerning the failure of the whole thing. Are y'all still with me now? And then third thing. Paul, Acts 19, verse 21, you said you would go to Jerusalem and then you wanted to see Rome. And the Lord says, you, Paul, don't worry about your future. Don't worry about your future. He dealt with his past, his present testimony, and he said, you got a future, Paul. He said, you're going to Rome. Just like you've testified to me here, you're going to testify to me in Rome, Paul. You're going to the heart of the whole world. And Paul, you're going to preach the gospel in Rome to Caesar himself. You're going to preach to Caesar's bodyguard. You're going to stand before Caesar and declare the gospel just like you testified to me in Jerusalem. So now he's encouraged about his future. Amen. Thank God. Praise God. Supernatural visitation from God Almighty. Dealing with his heart and his testimony he thought was a failure and his future. That's what he needed. That's what he needed to hear. He needed to know those three things. Say amen. So must thou bear witness also at Rome. Now, at this point now, he's he's okay now. Paul's all right now. He's okay now. Do you understand that? He's all right. He's just, he was discouraged. He was dejected that the testimony was not received. He didn't know about the future. But now he's all right. He knows. Are you hearing me right now? He knows that nothing can happen to him until he gets to Rome. They can plan to try to kill him. They can plot to kill him. They can have all, a storm can hit his ship, but he knows he's going to Rome. Because God told him. Say amen. I got 20 minutes. Now, I'm going to just tell you the rest of the story. At least this chapter. While he's sitting in that prison, and the Lord appears to him by night, there's a plot by over 40 Jews to kill him. They bound themselves by a curse that if they do not kill the Apostle Paul, they would be cursed of God Almighty. Over 40 of them. And there happens to be a young man that's Paul's nephew that just happens to have a curious ear. (laughs) 
What I'm fixing to show you is supernaturalism behind naturalism. Because you go through life and you want God to go. Okay, yeah, he came supernaturally and visited Paul in that prison house there. But at this point, when there's 40, over 40 men plotting his death, putting a curse on their head, God doesn't send a lightning bolt to deal with those 40 men. He doesn't appear in the sky. He doesn't scream at them. I'm saying there's no real outward visible, visible thing from God. But the supernaturalism behind the naturalism. God has been doing it the whole time. God was there whenever they were fixing to kill Paul and the Roman police comes on the scene. That was God. You with me? God, the supernatural God has been with Paul through the whole time through natural things. And now when you got over 40 men about to plot, are plotting to kill him, putting a curse on their head, they're going to kill him? God, the supernatural God, supernaturalism, is going to use naturalism. God is going to set it up. He's going to put the nephew of the Apostle Paul within ear. Is it earshot? Yeah. To hear these men's plans to kill Paul. The nephew just happened to be there. Supernaturally. Natural. God set it up. God put that nephew right there to hear the plan and plot of those 40 men to kill his uncle. And he goes into the prison house. Says, Paul, there's over 40 men waiting to kill you as soon as you get out. As soon as they take you out and bring you before the council, this is the plan. They're going to say, they want to put you before the council to hear a little bit more from you. Said, but don't do it because they're going to try to, they're going to try to kill you when you do. And the apostle Paul sends word to the captain of the police about the plot of the 40. You know what the captain does? Gets over 475 men and goes and gets a little apostolic preacher named Paul. Takes him out of that prison house, escorts him. 475. Is that right? I think it's right. Check me out in the numbers, but I think that's right. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Escorting this little apostle, apostolic preacher, escorted right out of danger. Am I right on the numbers? Check me out. How much? 200? Is it 275? Is it 475? Huh? It's what? Keep reading. How many? 470. All right. Some of y'all making me sweat out there. You're throwing me all kinds of numbers. Okay. Okay. 470. I missed it by five, I think. I hope I pray to God I'm right. Yeah. I need your help. 470, right? 470 soldiers escorting this little apostolic preacher, this little bald-headed preacher, man. The supernaturalism of naturalism. 
God sent the little nephew up. And he sent 470 uh, soldiers up to be there to get that little apostle out of town. Amen, amen. As soon as they got him out of danger, the Bible tells us where they went, um, got him out of danger, and then the 400 went back home and left him with 70. Isn't that amazing? The supernaturalism of naturalism. God behind the whole thing. You look at your life and say, oh, I wish God would appear to me. I wish a lightning bolt would come right now. I wish God would get me out of this. I wish God would talk to me in an audible voice, you know. What you fail to understand is the supernaturalism behind naturalism. That it was God that set up. God was with Paul. God's the one who sent the captain of the beginning. That guy's smoking a cigarette. I made that up. <laughs> God set that whole up that his nephew, Paul's nephew, would hear the plot. He set it up 470 soldiers to escort that little apostolic preacher, get him out of town to get him safe. And then after that, they get him to a safe place, then he leaves him with 70. Supernaturalism of naturalism. Does that mean anything to you? And I think about that. How, what, what, what did God do for you? Amen. Who did God put in your life to witness to you? Amen. Who did God put in your life to help you? Come on, somebody. Amen. I wish God would provide for me. Who do you think that man is that keeps calling you on the telephone and giving you more business? It's the supernatural God behind him telling him to do that. Amen. Come on, give the Lord praise. How many times were you in trouble, trouble, trouble? But behind the scenes, you didn't see God, but God was orchestrating and working. Oh, it caused this one to be sick. So somebody else would be there to deal with you so that you would not have to go away for a long time. God, the supernaturalism behind naturalism. Oh, you ought to praise God. If you can't praise God, there's something wrong with you. I tell you what it is. You have a superiority complex. You think you deserved it. And you didn't deserve one thing. If it wasn't for God, they'd have tore you to pieces. Give the Lord praise in the house. Yeah. I like new converts. They come and they're so excited. Oh God. Yeah, whoa man. They're running all the time praising God. Because they know if it hadn't been for God, where they'd be. Problem is you get in a church too long. You get too religious. Yeah, then you can just sit there all dead. Don't you understand the supernaturalism behind naturalism? But you need the Holy Ghost. You need the Holy Ghost to understand it. You need the Holy Ghost to walk in the Spirit. To be able to see through things and situations and people and circumstances and see the hand of God Amen. behind Amen. Amen. Give God praise. <coughs> well, some of you say, God's never helped me. He helps you every day. He helps you every day. You need to see. You need to throw up your hands and thank God for His help every day. The supernaturalism behind naturalism every day of your life. 
it wasn't for that. There was something God intervened. Somebody, something, some method. You didn't even discern it was God. It was God in disguise. And you're laying around feeling sorry for yourself. Why God don't help you? Awesome God He is. <coughs> and I come to a close. Praise the Lord. Isn't He good? They drag Him off the Apostle Paul. And they finally make it to Caesarea. 70. 24, and provide them beasts that they may set Paul on and being, <coughs> bring him safe <coughs> to Felix. Felix the governor in Caesarea. And he wrote a letter after this manner, Claudius Lysias, which was the chief captain of the Roman police. Claudius Lysias is the supernaturalism behind naturalism. He is being used by God Almighty, a Roman captain. Natural man, but behind the natural man, the supernatural God. God using the man. He writes, Felix, O most excellent governor, Felix sendeth greeting. This man was taken of <coughs> the Jews and should have been killed of them. Then came by with an army and rescued him, having understood that he was a Roman. Amen. And when I would have known the cause wherefore they accused him, I brought him before into the, their council, whom I perceived to be accused of questions of their law, but to have nothing laid to his charge worthy of death or of bonds. And when it was told me how the Jews laid wait for the man, I sent straightway to thee and gave commandment to his accusers also to say before thee what they had against him. Farewell. God is using this captain, a Roman captain, a pagan. He's using this man to write this letter on the behalf of the Apostle Paul. Amen, amen. Set the escort up and everything else. Isn't that an awesome, amazing amen, thing? Amen. It's through writing the letter, sends them off. Verse 31, Then the soldiers, as it was, commanded them, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipartus. Antipartus, on the morrow they left the horsemen to go with him and return to the castle. <clears throat> Who, when they came to Caesarea, <coughs> notice it's they now, Luke's not with him. Delivered the epistle to the governor, presented Paul also before him. And when the governor had read the letter, he asked of what province he was, and when he understood that he was of Cilicia. Verse 35, I will hear thee, said he, when thine accusers are also come. He commanded him to be kept in Herod's judgment hall. When the Apostle Paul walked in Herod's judgment hall that day, he didn't see it as a prison house. He saw it as God's provision for him. And when he walked in Herod's judgment hall, he knew the hand of God was behind all of the events that God had provided him a place to stay temporarily. And so now he's no longer in Jerusalem. He's fixing to head to Rome. And we'll see that, Lord willing, next week. But the supernaturalism of naturalism, behind it, God is operating. 
God is working. Aren't you thankful for that? I tell you, when Paul got the news from his nephew, he didn't go to pieces. You know why? Because God had already appeared to him and said, you're going to Rome. And he just watched the supernatural God work behind natural things and people to set the whole thing up. Isn't He a great God? Lord Jesus, we stand before You right now and we give You praise and we thank You for all the times that You have intervened on our behalf. We thank You for Your protection. We thank You for using people and circumstances, situations. Lord, sometimes we don't even see that it was You behind the scenes. But we know that You're a supernatural God talking to this one and talking to that one and working here and working there. 